Well, we're in the third week of a series we've titled Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Emotional. And what that means is if you think of the old story of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, that on first glance, we all seem to be normal people, don't we? Like we all seem fully functioning, normal people. We look across the planet, we look at each other and go, yeah. But then we have these things that happen in the midst of our emotional lives that something leaks out and we become someone we never intended to be or in fact, we see others do this, don't we? So I, I had this experience yesterday I had the joy with some friends to go to the Michigan-Notre Dame game, and I'm not trying to tell you about it because of who won or any of that or how great the game was, though all of those are true. Um, but at halftime, you know, I'm, I'm in the restrooms where half the group seemed to be, and all these guys are standing there, and one Michigan fan notices a Notre Dame fan across the room and decides to have a little banter. And it seems friendly and amiable. You know, look at us, we're better than you right now. Look at you, it's only the first half and blah, 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 blah. And, and then you're thinking maybe he's gonna get into deeper conversation, which he did. And, and it should have been something like this. Listen, I know that you are a Notre Dame fan and I understand that's important to you. But you know, it, it could be that maybe you're a little overrated because you haven't played in a big league like the Big Ten. <laughs> now that already sounds bad, doesn't it? Now, trust me, that's not the way he said it. It was much worse than that. And it went on for quite a long time, and he dropped a lot of bombs of a particular letter about every other word. By the time I left, I was just embarrassed and a little scared. And I saw the Notre Dame guy, and I'm just like, hey, dude, I'm sorry. And I walked out. Now, I tell you that, and you probably go, I would never do that. I cannot believe anyone would do that. And guess what? We all do. It's the frightening piece of this. In fact, in this era, I've said this before and I will say it again and again because it's become so clear to me. I have never remembered a time when all of us feel more freedom to say whatever we think to whoever we want in whatever way we want than we have in this current era. And at the same time, I've never seen a time where we're more easily offended by whatever's said to us. I mean, how weird is that? Oh, by the way, I can say whatever I want to you, but anything you say that's not good, we're done. That's how we live. Now, now, it gets exaggerated. We could even attribute it to this. We look on places like social media. In case you don't know, they're researching us. Do you know the typical thing is anybody on social media elevates their personhood? In other words, we characterize who we are and we speak much more strongly when we're not face-to-face. Like, I literally want to say just with that end, you know what, there's this great psalm that says, even a fool seems wise when he keeps his mouth shut. And all I want to say is, if you're thinking about typing something, don't. J- just don't do it. Don't ever push send. Stop it. Like, do you know how many problems would go away if we did that? I know it's not going to happen, but I'm just, now let's pull it back out of that, though. You realize in this day and age, we are more and more looking at why we're different than each other and how much we view each other differently and antagonistically. You realize we're becoming polarized, don't you? In fact, what we say is, Oh, I'd love to be with you as long as, and we fill in the blank of all the things we must agree on to be in relationship. Now, I'm telling you that because where we are in the series today is we're going to look very specifically at the role of empathy, the role of entering into someone else's life and understanding it to live differently in relationship with them. Because at the end of the day, I will tell you, I think this might be the most important concept for us as Christians to actually affect the world around us differently. I think living in any kind of empathy towards others is a lost way of life in our day and age. 
So before we do that, before we get into the passages and look at how this is rooted in who God is towards us, which we have to understand in every one of these, I wanna just quickly remind you of where we've been in these first few weeks. In week one, we looked at this idea that growing up emotionally is a neglected part of growing together in Christ. Growing together in Christ is part of what we say our mission is. We wanna be radically loving. We discover the love of Jesus and we pass it on to others. We also grow up in this thing of faith. And what we're saying here is part of growing up, growing together is growing up emotionally. That's what we looked at in week one, that it's a neglected part in the life of the church. Last week, we looked at this idea of our own well-being. How do we handle our own emotions? Because that's part of the mix of growing up emotionally. And we said, we bring our emotions, the good, the bad, and the ugly to God. In other words, we can't do it alone. God, I want you to be a part of this. Help me in this. And then we even talked as a side piece of how part of that, of our own emotions, is sharing all of who we are with trusted friends. It's not something we live alone in, but in community. That's where we've been so far. Now today we want to look at this role of stepping into being a part of someone else's life and understanding them. And the place we begin with this is how God has done that for us. So I want to take you to Isaiah. This is a prophet, someone who lived centuries before Jesus walked the earth, that much of this book of Isaiah, these prophecies, are about the coming of Jesus. So let me take you first to Isaiah 7 in this early section. And this is what the prophet says. Therefore, the Lord, meaning the Messiah, God himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now we're gonna focus on this part, what Emmanuel means, but I don't wanna miss this this beautiful piece. A virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. I love it. One, One theologian says it this way, that God entered the world through a door marked no entry. Because you can't have that happen, can you? That's how God shows up in a door that's marked no entry. And by the way, after Jesus dies, he rises again. So he left the world in a door marked no exit. I mean, is that not cool? God comes to us in a door that says no entry and he leaves in a door that says no exit because he is paving a new way. Now that's not where we're going directly today, but I thought it was kind of a cool deal. No extra charge, just wanted you to get that. But he'll call him Emmanuel. And simply what Emmanuel means, we focus on this. If you've been around the church, you've probably heard it before. If you haven't, that's not anything to be concerned about. We tend to blast past it. But when Jesus comes, he's given this name, Emmanuel, which simply means God with us. Now that's important to understand because guess how Jesus enters? He enters as a frailty and a little baby in a very vulnerable place in culture, oppressed significantly physically and financially and politically. And he lives in incredible vulnerability. Now, the reason Jesus comes that way is because in his humanity, he comes to the most vulnerable and difficult posture. What's he saying? I am with you. By the way, if you want to understand how we develop empathy, recognize that God didn't just sit back and go, oh, these are the people and that's what they've done. He goes, I will enter this with you. You feel like you're alone and no one understands what you've been through. Jesus came to be with you. We miss the reality that God in heaven understands and you are not alone. Now, I could send you out with that because that's pretty cool stuff. I think for us to really understand that it's cool stuff. But let me take it a little bit further to see what did Isaiah mean about this? What did Jesus coming do? And let's take you later into this very same letter. This is talking again about Jesus. He grew up before him. He's speaking of Jesus as a tender root, tender shoot. You hear the vulnerability. 
And like a root out of dry ground, you hear the disparity of how he lived. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. By the way, we oftentimes, when we see these stories and even movies about Jesus, isn't he just a good looking dude? That is not how he experienced life. Think about the person, and maybe it's you, where you go, how many times do we know where people feel they're completely forgotten and forsaken and alone and despised? That's how Jesus entered the world. No one wanted to desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. We wanted nothing to do him. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Literally, when it says familiar, it doesn't mean he learned about it and understood it. It means he lived it. Familiar means he's experienced it. In other words, what Jesus did was he entered into the world of humanity and experienced it. He can empathize because he lived in it. But he didn't just leave it there. I love what continues on. Then he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. In other words, what Jesus does is not just be with us. He takes upon himself our brokenness, loneliness, suffering, sin, and despair. Now that's something we don't understand, but it's beautiful. He's not just present, he's present to give hope. He's present to give transformation. He's present to carry. I love how Hebrews says this. This is a letter that's written after Jesus' uh, resurrection. It says it this way, since we have such a great high priest. Now just in case you don't know, in the Jewish culture, the high priest went before God on behalf of the people to offer sacrifices to God to make things right for the people. He was the intermediary for people. I want you to understand that's the picture we're getting. He ascended into heaven. This is what happens after his resurrection. Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are and did not sin. What the author is saying here is Jesus understands our loneliness, our mess, our circumstances, our brokenness, even our self Destruction. I mean, isn't that amazing? I know you're all quiet and it's all good. Inside, you better be going, whoa, that is unbelievable. That's better than the way Michigan trounced Notre Dame yesterday. And it was good. I know it could have been bad for others. It just was, I'm just living in the moment. Rejoice with me, okay? It's not gonna last. You gotta take it while I get it. What follows in this passage is what matters most. And it's the foundation with which we then enter into empathy. It says in the next verse, I didn't put it on the screen, that therefore approach him with confidence. And it says this, he gives you mercy and grace. Now it always helps me to just make this simple. And hopefully it's simple for you. Mercy is simply that God does not give us what we deserve. In other words, in the places we are self-destructive and cause our own demise and cause the pain of others, mercy says, no, I will not give you what you deserve. Jesus, in fact, through what we understand with these other verses, takes on what we deserve for us. That's the picture of his death. He will take on what we deserve. He gives mercy. You don't get what you do deserve negatively. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. But that means the blessing and the good stuff. So in essence, what Jesus says is, I've come to be with you. I've come to help you. 
I've come to bring hope to you. I will take what you deserve that you don't get it, and I will give you what you don't deserve that you'll have new life. That is death and resurrection. Put those together, man. It's good. It's better than a PBJ. Let me talk. Now, why this matters is that those of us who are here that are Christ followers, those online watching that are Christ followers, if we don't truly understand mercy and grace and Jesus meeting us in our place of need, we then can't respond and give it to others. It's the foundation of where we get empathy from. Because when we understand the depth of our need, we look at others' needs differently. Jesus tells a simple story to illustrate this. A woman comes to him when he's with a bunch of religious leaders who would say they are living a good life better than most. And this woman comes and begins to weep at his feet and pours this expensive perfume on him and kisses his feet, does all this. And the religious leaders are irritated and annoyed and think he should say something. And then he tells a story of two people who owe a debt, one who owes a huge debt and one who owes a little. A little. And both the debts are forgiven. He says, who do you think loves more? And they say, the one who owed more. He says, those who are forgiven much love much. Those who are forgiven little love little. The problem is the story's a misnomer because the others aren't really forgiven little. They just think they are. See, they operated that they thought they were better than. And so before we go on to look at how we're to be empathetic to what the scripture says, in a minute, I'm gonna wanna pray for us those of us who are here that are Christ followers to go, listen, maybe you need a deeper dose of mercy and grace. Maybe we just need God to open our eyes to the depth of his love because that will change how we treat others. But then I don't want to miss it either. For those of you who are here, those watching online that would say, I'm really not a Christ follower, but I want to understand more about this. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a simple picture. Jesus came to be with us to die, to give mercy to basically not give us what we deserve, which is death and destruction, he takes it. That's forgiveness, that's mercy. Jesus also died to rise, to bring a new life in a new way, to give us grace, which is the good stuff. The new life, the life empowered by him, the new purpose to be part of his incredible reclamation project of the world. And so if you're here today watching online, you go, I don't follow Jesus. I also wanna pray for you that maybe you would. It's just a simple thing. It's not like I gotta have 20 steps. It's, listen, God, I'm a sin, sinner and I'm a mess. I'd like some mercy, please. Listen, God, I know you died and you rose again. I'd like some of that grace. So I wanna pray for us before we go on and actually look at how we're to help others. For those of us who follow Jesus to receive and for those who don't to maybe respond. So let me pray for that in mind right now. Lord, I pray for all of us, even before we then move on to looking at what you call us to do and be, may we be infused more deeply with the depth of your love for us. God, may we, like the woman at your feet, see just how much you've forgiven, face just how broken we are, see just how much need we have that we could never pay on our own, and may we receive freshly your mercy. God, in the same way, when we really see the result of your resurrection that we could receive grace, and live in a new way by the power of your spirit. I pray you'll infuse that in us. You just breathe it on us, Holy Spirit, in a new way. And then, Lord, for those that are here, that are online, that are seeking to discover you, may your spirit just be whispering to them right now, prompting them right now, giving them a sense of your peace right now that says you are better than you think. I love you more than you could imagine. And may they ask for the first time, God, give me your mercy. I have sinned and I can't pay this. 
will you not give me what I deserve and take it yourself? God, may they receive your mercy. And in the same way, Holy Spirit, will you, as they confess that you are Lord Jesus, will you pour out your grace on them of your power and your presence and your new way of living? I just encourage you to ask for that. Lord, forgiveness and grace, mercy and grace. Continue to lead us now in your name. Amen. I want to continue into this. I want to say to anybody who responded today, whether it was for the first time or even in a renewal, I'd encourage you to grab the card in your seat and fill it out and just check that box, place it in the kiosk in the lobby and let us respond to you because we want to help you on that journey. And then for the rest of us to continually be praying that God would show us who he really is. Now, where I want to go from here is let's assume that we understand everything we do is rooted in who Jesus is. Jesus steps into our life. He steps into our brokenness. He loves us in the midst with mercy and grace. And he says, simply go and do likewise. And so with that, I want to take you to one simple verse. It's a verse in a letter, again, that's written to the church, to the New Testament church. Uh, It's a letter in Romans. And it's really just a short statement, but it is powerful in what it says. It says this in Romans 12, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Now, this, this is beautiful. It's not meant to be exhaustive. It's just exemplary of two areas. It gives you the extremes, right? Rejoice with those who are rejoicing and mourn with those who are mourning. It's saying, enter into the life of others around you. When people are in great joy and celebration, be with them in it. Now, let's be honest. When we see people celebrating, oftentimes we think it's good as long as it's not better than mine. And it's good as long as mine's good too. That's not rejoicing with those who rejoice. In the same way, mourn with those who mourn. It's not fixing it and telling them they should feel better. It's not telling them your life is worse. It's not spouting off scriptures to make it all go away. It's just sitting with people in their grief. And that's what empathy is. It's walking in their shoes. You get that. Let me illustrate it this way. Uh, One particular teacher in a medical school wanted the young doctors they were working with to understand the aging process because they were working in a geriatric unit at this time. They knew all the material. They could speak about things like how hearing changes, how vision changes, how the joints and aches and all the pains of aging that come, weight additions, all sorts of things. And they could cognitively explain to these young doctors what happened there. But this teacher understood they need to understand what it's like to walk in someone's shoes. So they developed this this suit that the doctors would wear. It would first be given these earmuffs they'd put over their heads and it would diminish their ability to hear. Then they would put a visor, these goggles over their eyes and it would take away some of the clarity of color and even clearness. And even in the midst of all that, just make it more difficult to see anything of any significance. It would diminish it. Then they also put on these knee pads and elbow pads that caused them much more difficulty in moving their arms and legs, caused some pain when they did it. And finally, they put on this Kevlar jacket that had a weight of 20 pounds and pushed in on their chest. And guess what? When these young doctors walked around, do you think they understood the aging process differently? They did because they had to walk in someone else's shoes. I want to be really clear. That's what we need to become as Christ followers. That's what this means to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn, to walk through life in someone's insecurities and struggles and all that goes on. It's you and me learning to step into. And what did Jesus do? He came to be with us, to step in and become familiar. Not to be overwhelmed by it, not to say I will be like it, 
but to engage in it. The life of a Christ follower looks at people differently and says, how can I enter in instead of how can I judge and look? You realize in the day and age we're living in right now, we're making a lot more stipulations about who we'll connect to. Is, oh, I'd love to be in community with you. I'll even rejoice and mourn with you as long as you think this way, you act this way, you use your money this way, you do. We start making a list, don't we? That's not how God made us to be. All we'll be in the church are segmented people that are already like each other. And Jesus says, no, no, no. I want you to be present with people that are different than you. And by the way, we're all different at the same time. We're similar, aren't we? Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. If I could just make this simple for you, you need to learn to be present with others. You're not there to fix it. You're not there to figure out what you get from it. You're there to be present, to be in the midst of their circumstances, to walk in their shoes, to love and care because Jesus meets us the very same way. Now, it's a simple idea, but I wanna give you handles. What does that look like in my life? What are some ways I can do this? And I just wanna give you three questions to ask yourself that I think can be helpful in this. They're just three simple things. They're not exhaustive, but I found them to be helpful and I hope they'll be helpful to you to kind of guide you into what might I do this week to engage in it. So here's a simple one. Am I viewing someone around me as less than? And what this means is, do I look at the people around me or a person around me and think they're less than I am because fill in the blank? You realize that once we say that, our ability to empathize is gone and our ability to be compassionate and to be with them is gone. And this is where I come back to our faith because when we say that someone else is less than, what does that mean? We're greater than. In other words, what we're really saying is God made me in his image and you a little less. And it's a complete statement of I don't really understand God's grace and mercy because if I did, I would never look at someone else and say they're less than. I would look in my own brokers and go, I am less than. And man, I'm in your shoes. So when you can start asking the question, who am I viewing as less than and how am I? Any blank you fill in there will tell you I'm not seeing with Jesus' eyes. It's a good question to ask to start with. I'll give you a second one. What can I put on from their story? Simply what this means is even from the story I told you about these young doctors, what in their circumstance can I put on, can I begin to understand experience that will help me to know them better and enter into their life better? And, and what I've learned in this, and I'm, I'm not a highly empathic person naturally, I've been through enough circumstances that that's growing and I'm around people that are more empathic and that helps me. But what I've also learned is when I ask questions and discover more of their story, I start to put on their understanding differently. That doesn't mean I agree with their lifestyle, doesn't mean I agree with anything, but it means I understand their circumstances differently. It's funny, one of the places I started to do this is with individuals that had gone through more difficult circumstances, particularly when I started to hang out um, more at the prison with some of the work we're doing. And when I started talking to some of my friends, you can't get into all deep things, you have to respect their stories, but when you start to hear journeys and where they led, Instead of feeling like, how could you and you're less than, I find myself going, I'm not sure I'd be doing as well as you are. I wonder if I'd be more broken. 
I wonder if I would have made the same decision. I wonder if I wouldn't be in worse situation. And I've learned, and that's an extreme case of it, but the more I find I get to talk to people, the more I discover their story, the more I put on what they're going through and see it differently. We always talk about discovering stories. I'm telling you, it can change how we empathize and have compassion for people from who they are. Jesus came to be with us, and we often want to view people as less than and ignore being with them. And then this last one is probably the most important. Just ask the question, what's the Lord need to do in me to become present to them? I know naturally I don't have compassion and I don't have empathy, but I have learned to say, God, help me. Help me to start seeing this person with your eyes, to start hearing their words with your ears, to start thinking about them the way you do, to start loving them the way you do, to see things the way you do. Imagine if we started praying those words into our relationships. Instead of talking about people behind their backs, venting things differently, passive aggressively saying things, or just sheerly aggressively talking to people. What do you think might change? You and me being present with others? Learning to say you are never less than. You are made in the very image of God. Oh man, I want to understand what you're going through and step into it. That's what Jesus does for me. Shouldn't I do the same thing? Oh, and God, I can't change my heart. I need you. Please help me to look and love the way you do. That's how we become present with others. That's how we grow up in faith. I want to pray for us, and then we're going to seal our time in response. But let me pray for us as we contemplate this. Lord, I ask for each person here, each person online, God, for those who feel alone, that they would know you're with them. But I pray for all of us too, God, that you would deepen our understanding of your love and forgiveness and grace. And Lord, I pray we would begin to see others with your eyes. God, where we are seeing people as less than, will you convict us and say, no, that's my kid too and I love him. Lord, where we are not able to, will you teach us to actually put on what their journey and story is like, that we would be able to better understand their circumstances, their thoughts, their dispositions, their feelings, that we would look at them differently out of dignity and respect. And finally, Lord, would you change us from the inside out that we will love people with your love, that we would not just be recipients of mercy and grace, but givers of mercy and grace. I pray this in your name. Amen.